Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we're joined by Eliana Limon Romero of the Los Angeles Times and Ashley Colley of ESPN. They are the chair of the board and the president for the Association for Women in Sports Media. Eliana is the newly named deputy sports editor for her news organization. Eliana, hello. Hello, good to see you. Ashley is the associate producer for the TV show NFL Live among her duties at ESPN. Ashley, hello. Hi, how are you guys? We're good, and we're looking forward to this conversation. And let's start by talking uh, about AWSM from a broad perspective. AWSM's members support the advancement and growth of women in sports media. Can you give us more specifics on some initiatives that your organization is working on? I'll talk a few about some of our professional programs and then perhaps actually can get into some of the stuff that we have tailored to students because we do have a whole bunch of things that we try to go through. In terms of our professional programming, we have a mid-career mentor program, Awesome Champions, that tries to identify entry and mid-career level journalists and relate them with people who are mid and later career veteran journalists, give them an opportunity to hear directly from someone outside of their workplace and to run questions and, and ask them about just about anything and help them navigate different challenges. It's, it's been a very popular initiative that we've had that has led to a lot of success, promotions, and people feeling like they could navigate different challenges. We also have uh, regional events that we've hosted outside of our annual convention that can range from guest speakers to hands-on learning activities. Since COVID-19 shut down our in-person event for safety reasons, we were able to take those online and hold some really fruitful and meaningful opportunities to have these conversations across Zoom. And it really has allowed members from the East and West Coast and everywhere in between to interact in a way that maybe they couldn't. So we've tried to make the most of that. Those are some of the highlights from the professional end. Ashley, you wanna talk about students and and our job board? Yeah, so from the student perspective, we now have 20 student chapters. Whenever I actually first started with AWSM in 2013, we were one of the like three, it was the first convention that we had students. And so to see that expand in my time that I've been with the, the group is, just really amazing. We have them working on their own programming. So this year it's been all virtual, similar to the regional events because of safety, but the students are really, they are planning their own speakers and events. And so it's really neat to see what they're doing on that level and how they're addressing issues that are on each campus is different. So if their student chapter has more broadcast or more print, like they're able to tailor to their needs. And that's something that we really like to be able to do and see. The convention, you know, is a broader perspective since we have so many members at both levels. Also, we have the internship and scholarship program, which we've placed nearly 200 females in paid college internships since 1990. And so with the pandemic, it's been a little bit more challenging to make sure we're having virtual perspective of with our interns. And this year we have eight that are going to be able to do it. And so we're so thankful that we're able to continue that in these challenging times. And a lot of them will be virtual. Hopefully they might be able to do some in person, but just having eight women that are in internships this year is a really big deal that we're able to continue that program. And something for all members is our job board. We have currently more than 250 postings that are active of internships, jobs that are either full-time, part-time. We have some freelance, remote. We update that multiple times a week and just provide members that access 
where people can either send us job postings and we post it there, we share some on social media, or we are checking multiple sites and updating that. So it's a really good resource that our members are able to take advantage of and it's updated multiple times a week. And we've seen in this pandemic that some postings are open for really short periods of time or long. And so kind of however you're looking, you can get the most up-to-date info on that site. Okay, and what is the current state of women in the print and TV sports departments uh, around the, across the nation? I can speak on the, the broadcast side, and I'll have Ileana talk on the, the print side. I, you know, I see more women, but I definitely think that there's more, more room. There's always more room for women to be um, a part of it. I think in the past couple of years, we've seen more layoffs in the industry, and a lot of times I'm, I'm noticing that there's a lot of women that are involved or there's current trends of, you know, they just feel burnt out. So I, I'm really hoping that we can get more women back in there and give them more support so that if they feel that they're trying to decide if they want to stay in this career path or not, they feel like they're supported, even if maybe in their specific field, they don't like awesome can provide support or guidance for whatever issues they're dealing with. If they want to switch their industry, if, you know, go from print to maybe digital or go to more podcasts. We're seeing a lot of that shift. If it's trying to figure out if they want to start a family, we get that question a lot, just making sure that we're offering the support. So while I do see more women, I always used to say like, if there's not a line in the bat for the bathroom, then there's not enough. And obviously with it being virtual, I haven't got to see that in a while, but definitely more room for women in the industry. I definitely agree. We're experiencing a churn within the industry as a whole. Print digital has gone through substantial cuts. At the same time, there are openings and opportunities for creative, really highly invested journalists who do great work. And we've seen a lot of women enjoy new opportunities there, a lot of wins that we're very excited about. And we try to celebrate each and every single one of those when they come across. But there's no question that the burden for people coming into the industry is, is difficult. It's significant that there are fewer people doing more across the board, I think in media, no matter where you look. And so that challenge of how to get acclimated, how to navigate, how to present yourself as someone who can be counted on to do those things, and then also how to do that at a high level successfully, it's, it's a battle. It's a challenge for many of our members, but we're pleased and just thrilled by how many of them have had some hard-earned wins during the pandemic, but no question, it's, it's also, a churn. There's there's cuts in in a lot of different directions, and we're trying to help them navigate that as best possible. I think many of the resources that we've outlined are, are dedicated to that and have have worked well. So we're grateful for that. What are the trends regarding people of color in the industry, specific to women? So that's an area that I worked with with a variety of organizations. In in addition to AWSM, which we often refer to as Awesome, just because it's a fun, easy acronym. I also think that I've worked with the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, National Association of Black Journalists, Asian American Journalists Association. There are different sports task forces kind of collaborate and work together to talk with Awesome about how we can address those specific issues, the inter intersection of gender and race and how we can make sure we're providing opportunities. Given all of the discussion of racial reckoning in this country and how much people have been asked to put that front and center, there has been a demand for uh, employers who are eager to get on the right side of this, who recognize that their rosters don't match their community that they're trying to cover, and they don't match the, the athletes and the sports that they're trying to cover, and that puts them at a disadvantage. So there's high demand there, that's great news. 
The downside is that for so long, there weren't as many paths, reasonable paths for journalists of color coming through for a long list of reasons. And that meant that our pipeline is not as robust as it can and should be. And so we are working to make sure with these organizations that we're providing mentorship and training that helps them navigate and takes down barriers that specifically tend to hit journalists of color harder than others. In particular, I would speak to unpaid internships, to internships that require travel that have very little uh, financial support for making that happen. Housing in a big city market is not possible. So you take a smaller city internship and then are you of a profile or a pedigree that would allow you to move up? Are they only looking at major journalism institutions when they recruit out of colleges or even when they recruit later on, seeing that background? A whole bunch of different challenges that barely scratches the surface of what some of the things are that can hold people back. So working with those groups to try to address those, encouraging editors and hiring managers to, to make long-term investments, you know, producers, everybody across the board, those who are in a position to hire, make long-term investments to start at the high school level with these high school programs, go to colleges, work with interns, and then just make sure that there is a path for them forward. We are getting some wins, as I said, but it is, it is tough because we're asked constantly for who would be a good candidate for this opening or that opening. I'd love to have a diverse candidate and we're happy to provide a list of talented people, but we cannot be in a circle where we're just constantly recommending the same list, the same group. We need to grow the pipeline. You mentioned challenges, and there were two big stories that became public this winter, one about Jared Porter, who was hired as the Mets GM, the other, Mickey Calloway, the pitching coach for the Angels, still currently employed under suspension. Just awful stories, uh, behavior that was atrocious and disgusting. It's not the first time we've heard of such a thing. It's certainly not going to be the, the last. Two years ago, you had the incident in the Astros clubhouse with the assistant GM taunting three reporters, tangential, tangential to all of this is an organization like Barstool Sports, which is problematic, whose readership is notorious for going after those it doesn't like. And there are a number of issues with them. What can we do to ensure that these sorts of things don't happen in the future and ensure that female reporters are treated respectfully? I think the biggest thing is letting women know one of their support, either by other women, that they're not alone, that this is happening. Like it sometimes it can feel very isolated that you think you're the only one seeing it or feeling it. So knowing that even if it's not happening to another woman near you, because you might be the only woman in your beat, that there's people that you can talk to. And also like calling on the male colleagues that are around it. Like if you see it, you need to say something. I know a lot of times there's this, there's kind of two optics as how they kind of view it and neither are correct, but like, hey, it's not happening to me, so it's not my place to step in and say anything. Like, if you see something that's wrong, you should step in and say anything. Or if it's happening, you're not going to say anything because it's the person you're using for a source. And then they're afraid that they're going to lose that person as a source because they're sticking up for what they see is wrong. And I say, like, when it comes to a lot of times we're asked about allyship, especially with women, like, you don't really get to say if you're an ally, like your actions prove it. So if you're seeing this or if you're amplifying the voices of other women or women's issues, I think we saw this past weekend with the disparities between women's sports and men's sports in the NCAA, like seeing women talk about it is great, 
but male voices still hold more power, whether we want to acknowledge or not. I think that's important that they still have more power, they're in more leadership positions. Like using their voices to support those disparities and call out this behavior, I think is the biggest step that people can do on a daily basis. Yeah, I, we held a workshop regarding allyship and I was pleased to see how many members from Associated Press Sports Editors, which includes sports editors for both print, digital, and ESPN, you know, television networks as well, coming through and, and listening to what people had to say, what women and trans journalists have experienced through all of this and, and sort of learning how to handle that. I think online harassment is among the topics that we consistently do programming around because we want to provide tools and resources for our members. And it absolutely is one of the top questions that we receive. By nature of the industry, they're expected to live online and to promote their work. And they're sort of evaluated for promotions and opportunities through their ability to build an audience. But at the same time, it can lead to really toxic reactions when they do identify themselves and and stake out claims and do their work. So we are there to provide support, to provide safety tips, to provide mechanisms that can help them uh, navigate that process. And we, we are starting to see it, it is not limited to women or journalists of color. They absolutely get the worst of it. But we have seen that allies who have stepped up have experienced a good dose of it in, in a really terrible way. But still, there are many conversations I've had with, with many male journalists who just hadn't even thought of how bad it was. And so when they hear these stories, when they learn more, they're stunned and then they're eager to help. And we're grateful for that because they play a big role in helping to make sure they set the tone and set the conversation for what's acceptable. We are seeing more and more athletes step up in this space as well. They have gotten accustomed to playing near women, with women, being coached by women. And so they, they've been led by their moms since they were kids. And they are actually playing a big role in carving out spaces for, for both athletes and for women in media covering them. So it is changing. We are getting, we are making progress, but the, the backlash and the, the challenges that exist are, are immense and intense. And that's why we feel we're doing our best to help step in and provide support every step of the way. It's certainly not limited to sports. 15 minutes before we were talking, I was reading an article about uh, Capitol Hill reporters who deal with uh, much the same thing, certainly a problematic across the industry and hopefully something that uh, changes over time. We normally do a salute at the end of the program, and I want to do this kind of a little differently. I was thinking about all of the writers that I read and the people that I've seen here on uh, TV, radio, that I've worked with at ESPN. This is just a small sliver of the list. Doris Burke, Jackie McMullen, Rachel Nichol- Nichols are all world when it comes to covering basketball. Malika Andrews, a rising star in the industry. Susan Slusser is one of the best source baseball beat writers in the country, now covering the Giants for the Chronicle, where her new boss is Christina Carl, previously of ESPN. There are prominent national reporters, Hannah Kaiser at Yahoo, Marley Rivera at ESPN. Marley also covers the Yankees with, among others, Christy Ackert of the Daily News, Lindsay Adler of The Athletic. For football, Laura Rutledge is the host of NFL Live. Sam Ponder hosts NFL Countdown. Susie Kobler is a legend in the field. Lindsey Jones is a well-known NFL reporter for The Athletic. Mina Kimes is a rising star at ESPN. Kimberly Jones is at NFL Network and WFAN. There are more. College hoops, men's and women's uh, basketball. College football, the NHL. On the editing side, Ileana, you just went from the Orlando Sentinel to the Los Angeles Times. Point being, 
and admittedly, I, slant, I slanted this a little bit to national outlets, there's a visibility and a success there now that wasn't there 20 and 30 years ago when Lisa Olson was put through hell in the Patriots locker room. Claire Smith was kicked out of the Padres locker room. She's now a uh, Hall of Fame honoree. All that said, what would you like to celebrate regarding uh, women in sports journalism? All of them, all of it. I take every single win. I think we, we go through so many challenges personally, professionally, just every single day. I am elated anytime we can share any of those wins. I, I love that list. I love that group. I also know how much they've been through to get to where they're at. And they've been through a lot. And they continue to go through a lot to stay in that position and stay that profile. But perhaps what I'm proudest of of that group is that every single one of them that you mentioned is eager to open the door for the next person. They are eager to give their time to our organization, but also just informally to anyone who asks, regardless of race, class, gender, background, it doesn't matter. They're very giving and I think perhaps secret to their success. How they cut through, how they broke through is because they are so kind, they are so open, they listen so well to the people that they cover and they made their teammates want to rally around them to help them reach this level. So. I cheer on every single one, and whenever we have some rough stretches, they give me so much hope and so much encouragement to know that they're pulling for everyone else, too. It's, it's great to work with them and great to honor them any chance I get. Yeah, as you were saying that list, I was thinking, like, Pioneer Award winner, has been a former board member, has done this, has done this, with, like, awesome, particularly, and just the fact that when we're at events like the convention a lot of them have been into our conventions before they act like they've known you your whole life and you can connect to them and so many different women like that and so I think they realize the magnitude of the that they have either they were the first or they're now in a spotlight where they're not the first but they're still there they have a seat at the table that we talk about all the time that's in has bigger optics and I think that that's just really important that they're humble about it they talk about how they got there they acknowledge that, but then they want to help those behind them too. Because if we're not continuing to help the people that are coming behind us, like that door might not stay open. And so just every time you name someone on that list, or I just, I get happy. I smile because we want to see that. We want to have that continue to grow that list, get longer and longer and longer. They're all outstanding. And speaking of growing reporters, Emmy Lederman, uh, our intern on this podcast, we go to her segment on the program, which is the advice uh, portion of the show. Take it away, Emmy. Hello. So my first question is for Ileana. And I'm wondering, can you explain how your upbringing and your Latina identity has shaped your career? I think they're just completely you can't separate them. So I think my family and my family's influence has played an immense role in what I do and what I get the opportunity to do and the joy that it brings me each day because they really encouraged it at an early age. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. My family is from, originally from Mexico. And on my mom's side, uh, my great, great, great grandfather bought and owned a newspaper that lived in the family for several generations. So even though they had sold it by the time I was a kid, when I went back to visit summers in Mexico, I got to see the presses running for the first time when I was in elementary school. And they saw it as an honorable thing, which I, I know now how much journalists has been attacked, basically, in our country. <laughs> Seeing it as something like really honorable and a, just a noble, great thing to do it was great encouragement at an early age. It opened the door to possibilities. I love to ask questions. They didn't always indulge all the questions I wanted to ask as a very curious kid. 
but you know, I love to ask questions. I love to read. I enjoyed writing. And so these all things came together. They encouraged me to pursue anything that I wanted to do. I got to play a lot of different sports as a kid. And so all of this came together to, to help form the person that I am. They also cared a lot about giving back to their community and continue to do so. They continue to volunteer long after they've retired. My parents are, are find that really rewarding and important. So all of those values definitely shaped who I am and gave me the confidence to push forward and to navigate a space where a lot of times I was the only one. I was the only woman or I was the only person of a Mexican-American background. I was the only Latinx journalist at all in any room. And that, that was something that I saw, but also didn't allow it to be a deterrent and something that I'm working to change. Great. And a question for both of you. I'm not necessarily looking to go into sports journalism, but what is a lesson in sports storytelling that I can apply to any aspect of journalism or field that I go into? So I would say just writing. I think that that's the biggest thing that we use no matter what platform you're on, either whether you decide to do journalism or or not, or sports journalism, like how you write, how you deliver a story is very important. Like even this podcast, like you have a different way of telling a story now than some other people do. For me, I'm very visual. So that's kind of why I picked broadcast. I want to tell the story through sound but a lot of that sound is you have to write to make sure that the different sound bites or the music or whatever you're including in your piece is amplified how to make it better how to emphasize things if you're looking at nfli like the show that we do every day it's more conversational it's kind of like this where we're just talking we're having fun we want the viewer to feel like you're part of the room so it's just focusing on listening to how different people have different conversations what you can pick up from that that you can put into whatever storytelling you are, because I think no matter what story or platform you're using, you want to make the viewer, the reader feel like they're a part of it. And so writing and conversations, I think are the biggest areas that you can focus on. I agree that clear communication is essential no matter what you're doing. I think it's an invaluable skill and and writing is a big part of that. I think the other takeaway I would have for journalists is listening, getting comfortable with asking questions and kind of living in the pauses and letting the other person fill the space. I think any time that you can listen, it, it gives you this huge advantage uh, of being able to understand the people around you and understand how you can fit in and how you can learn, grow, develop, and move up. I think that is, that is huge. And what are some common misconceptions about working in sports journalism? And is there anything about going into the field that has surprised you over the years? Ooh, the misconceptions. Let's see. As a reporter, no, I cannot get you autographs. No, I cannot get you tickets to events. No, I cannot introduce you to anyone. No, to my mother, much to her disappointment, I cannot take a selfie with every athlete I've ever interviewed or met that she thinks is remotely famous or interesting. I love her and she mostly still gets it, but it's taken a while. You know, I didn't get into it to get closer to athletes or to go to places that other people can't go to for the exclusivity of it. I got into it because I like to tell people stories. And I get to be in any part of the storytelling process is just so rewarding and so enjoyable. I do like working with words. And so the editing part of it, I love that. But I also feel like I am naturally curious and want to evolve and tell stories where my audience is at. So if they've taken more to podcasts, then we're podcasting. If we've taken more to video, then we're on camera. If they've taken more to social media or through any other iteration of how they get it, like I'm excited about going into that space. I think there's also that misconception because I was trained as a newspaper journalist coming in. 
I mean, I'm a multimedia journalist at this point. That is the reality of the situation. And I'm not upset about it. I, I enjoy that I learn something new every day and that it's creative. But yeah, that I think those initial misconceptions about what it means to work in sports in general is always the, the key questions is, can you get me tickets, autographs, et cetera? Ashley, thoughts? Yeah, another one is that like, you're working all the time. You can't take holidays or birthdays off. You can never see your family. Like, I always try and say like at the beginning of your career, that may be a little true. Like you have to kind of put in your time and earn that. But I also try and recommend like if there's something that you really want to do and is important to you, like take that personal time off, take those vacation days, like mental health and just your well-being is so important. And I think sometimes we get so invested as like I have to be on the beat and I have to be on Twitter 24-7 and I have to like break the news story. And like while that's important to our job, like if you can't perform at a high level because you're you just you're burnt out, like that doesn't do anyone good. So I would say that's a misconception that I had to learn the hard way. Like the first year and a half that I was at ESPN, I was like, I have to watch sports all the time. I have to know what's going on. And I've kind of adjusted my way. Like when I come home from work, I disconnect. And then I spend more time at the beginning of my next day reading and doing stuff. So just adjusting as you go along is definitely something that I've, I've learned how to do and is important. Okay. And we wrap up with this uh, from each of you. Is there an organization or person outside of awesome that you would like to salute? This is so hard to pick just one that you want to recognize. Very, very tricky. At the moment that we're speaking, there's, there's always different tough stretches that come for different journalists of color or for women. We, you mentioned some of the more challenging stories of harassment that, that bubbled up through MLB and through other groups. So I think right now I would like to recognize the Asian American Journalists Association. They've been working nonstop to provide resources to people across news and sports spectrum, trying to help showcase their experts and their members. And I'm in awe of how much they've turned around and produced to provide support. I also think that Asian American anti-Asian violence has been prevalent for quite some time, really for a long time, but it has flared up for a while. It hasn't just been in the past month that they've endured just an awful lot of targeted attacks, particularly against older people. That is just so troubling and disturbing. But, but the fact that their leadership has not grown tired of already trying to have this conversation over and over again, instead, in a high stress moment, they really met the moment by providing resources and giving people what they need. So I would like to salute them. They're a little bit outside of sports, just sports, but I think they've done incredible work. And they are also, their sports Association also has been remarkable. Their sports task force is great. So the Asian American Journalists Association, you can learn more at aaja.org about them. There's a ton of information they have available for everyone and how to be allies, how to support, and how to understand what's really going on. And on our Ileana suggestion, because they've been a good resource, like for me, I've also read a lot that they're doing and I'm just listening to what they're saying in their voices to try and understand inside that perspective better. And I think that that's something we can do with every part that we're not a part of, whether it's NABJ or NAHJ too, like those two resources and organizations that we've worked more with lately have been great to understanding. And again, listening from our side on how we can do better and amplify their voices. Thank you both for joining us. Best of luck in the future uh, with this organization and in your career. Thank you. March is Women's History Month, and the Journalism Salute honors Baseball Hall of Fame honoree Claire Smith. 
Claire, my former colleague at ESPN, is the first woman to be given the honor given by the Baseball Writers Association of America for meritorious contributions to baseball writing. Winners are honored at the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Claire was the first female baseball beat writer. She covered the Yankees for the New York Times in the 80s, then was a baseball columnist for the Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer from 1991 to 2007. She later had a prominent role at ESPN as a news editor, helping shape what was discussed on the network's baseball game telecasts and Baseball Tonight. During the 1984 baseball playoffs, Claire was kicked out of the Padres' locker room for no reason other than that she was a woman and that the Padres did not want her in there. Padres' first baseman Steve Garvey then came out of the Padres' locker room and gave Claire a confidence boost before doing an interview with her. Baseball's commissioner intervened, and Claire was given full access to the team for the rest of the series. Perhaps it was karma that a few days later, Garvey hit a game-winning home run. Claire is now considered a role model in the industry, not just for women, but for all baseball writers. All right, so we open the reporter's notebook post-interview with Emmy Lederman. Emmy, as a young female journalist, having listened to the two of them and getting a better understanding of the things that they're dealing with and the things that they're trying to help people overcome, what were your biggest takeaways from what they had to say? So I was really struck by the fact that there could be a lot of women working at a certain organization and, you know, their men, the men in that organization could identify as allies, but if you don't see that identification turn into action, then it's really just meaningless words. As a sports journalist, I think that you're especially aware of how certain contacts may make or break a story. And sometimes if you're chasing a story that may make you disregard you know, the past or, or certain discrimination claims or microaggressions because you're so focused on that story. But they really just pointed out the fact that true allyship only comes from actions and only comes from being able to be nimble and call people out or else the culture of journalism is, and just, you know, society in general is just never going to change. And she also talked about paying it forward and making sure that this doesn't become a fleeting moment of women working in sports media, that they're really holding themselves accountable to help the next generation of sports journalists in any way that they can. One of the things that I'm hopeful that in the future that well, younger athletes, certainly, like they're experiencing it a little different from the older athletes who are used to things being a certain way. But now the, the newer normal is ideally the list of women that I, I went through being successes. And that's just the, the tip of the list. There are, are plenty more. What was the thing that impressed you the most about those two women? They just had this relentless spirit about them that their work in sports media wasn't done and it didn't matter if they made it in journalism. What really matters is that they kind of committed to the cause through and through. So they would, as I said, they would be helping younger generations, yet also thinking about their personal development. And I think sometimes when we're working on projects, we get a little bit lost in what we're doing for ourselves that we forget about, you know, the bigger picture. So that really impressed me about them and just, you know, this attitude that they have to, it's crucial to just keep helping other people and growing that pipeline. All right, Emmy Lederman, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.